Hello everyone and welcome to the Girls in Podcast series, bringing you some great sort of conversations and ideas from a world of startups and founders all across the world. Today is going to be a subject uh, which has always sort of interested me, um, philanthropy in the social sector, and I'm hoping this individual could give me not only insight around what it means in this digital age, but also how their business, how their kind of journey so far has carried out its success in this sector. I think this team, when I was doing a bit of research into kind of what they're what they're offering, it's all about, as they say, taking big bets on new ideas uh, that could change the world. And um, what sort of better than that, really? So we welcome Claire Arnott, founder of Ten Years Time and other great ventures. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, great, thank you. So I suppose we'll just kick it off, really. Tell me about your time at Ten Years Time and kind of the journey to getting there. Uh, yeah, sure. So um, we started out as a consultancy called the Social Investment Consultancy, uh, and we offered advisory services to um, charities and social enterprises, as well as businesses, philanthropists, and foundations around kind of how to maximise impact. Whether that would be through monetary evaluation of um, social programmes being run by organisations, or whether it was advising on, on where kind of individuals with money and resource could put that for, for greater effect. And kind of as as we kind of went through. Um, through kind of uh, working for social investment consultancy, we thought, you know, there's a real opportunity here to advocate for systemic change. So, you know, a lot of what we see in the social sector is funding ongoing programmes, which there's a there's a definite need for. Yeah. But if you're not addressing the underlying roots and the underlying causes behind those issues, then you're funding into perpetuity. Mm-hmm. And so really it's about taking risks on new ideas that have the opportunity to, to push a sector forward, push a system forward, and not being afraid of that risk. Uh, and so kind of taking a, a very venture capitalist approach, you know, some things will win and some things won't win. Um, and so at 10 years time, we work with a, a very small number of um, families, individuals, and foundations uh, to, to kind of make this happen, basically. Um, uh, and it's uh, it, it's really interesting to kind of take clients on this journey. So they very much have to kind of buy into buy into the kind of uh, ethos of our work. You know, we would never work with someone who just wanted to kind of uh, greenwash their philanthropy. You know, it's about that individual who's kind of in charge of that resource, taking the time to understand that system. So whether that's the social work system in the UK, you know, shadowing social workers, going out there and speaking to people, you know, going into schools, understanding what issues teachers are dealing with, or whether it's education system in Kenya, so going out into rural communities in kind of very poor areas of Kenya um, and kind of speaking to people there and trying to understand what the issues are, but then also trying to see within those issues where the opportunities are uh, and where the opportunities to break some of the systemic issues uh, that are kind of stopping progression in that area um, and, and kind of spending six to eight months with our clients before they even kind of start to put money on the table, saying kind of having discussions and kind of speaking to experts, practitioners, frontline workers, you know, the whole range of people to say what is going on in this area and how can private philanthropy that hasn't got, you know, stakeholders and board members, etc., to answer to, uh, how it can really, really play a role in kind of pushing a, a sector and system forward. 
Amazing. Great. So it sounds very kind of hands-on, um, but kind of holding their hand throughout the process as well, which is really cool. So, I mean... Yeah, yeah. and you get to build strong relationships. So yeah, it's good. definitely. I can imagine that. I mean, before, obviously, uh, the podcast started, you mentioned uh, you're part of the military. And so, I mean, I'd love to know your sort of journey to where you are right now, kind of how it started, what you've been involved in previously. Um, so previously, as yeah, as you've mentioned, I was uh, interested in going to the military. Um, I think it's just because, um, you know, as, as I'm sure a lot of people are aware, the, the kind of roots for, I think for everyone when they're at school and particularly with, uh, with the kind of cuts to careers advice in schools in the UK is, is, is difficult. You know, you don't know what's out there. Um, and so I was offered the military and thought, well, this looks fun. I get to travel, you know, I get to spend time outdoors, which is, important for me and I get to meet a lot of people and then it was only kind of um, through finding social investment consultancy as I came out of my master's degree that I was like oh there is uh, there is alternatives out there um, there is kind of places where I can have um, you know where I can go out there meet people be outdoors kind of be working to, to kind of create change on the ground in a, uh, in a kind of really meaningful way um, so I've pretty much only ever done this. So um, I did my master's in government and politics of sub-Saharan Africa um, at SOAS um, at the, the University of uh, University College London, uh, here in London, where I still am. Um, and then kind of um, started at the social investment consultancy. And uh, as I said, yeah, as we went along kind of running that, it was very small. I think there was three people when I joined and four people when I left. Um, uh, kind of seeing this opportunity for, for kind of a really strong brand around how to challenge perceptions in philanthropy. Um, so yeah, kind of went from there and then kind of started and been involved with lots of other things kind of along the way. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine this um, kind of industry must pop up lots of conversations and opportunities along the way. Yes, indeed, <laughs> indeed. We're, we're never sure of things to follow up on. <laughs> um, so I suppose it sounds like you're quite hands-on with your projects. Um, you mentioned you're kind of outdoorsy as well, so I'm, I suppose you want to be on the ground whenever. I mean, what's probably the most exciting project you've been a part of and seen develop? Um, what are the most exciting ones? So uh, the project I was working on in, in Kenya was, was really amazing. So it was for a, a family who were interested in kind of taking the next step in their philanthropy. Um, and so we were talking with looking at what was going on in the education space in Kenya, literally from kind of not uh, to 25, 30-year-olds um, and kind of looking at what the, the challenges were. Um, so, it, you know, it, it meant a lot of time kind of travelling around Kenya, speaking to a variety of different people. We went up and stayed with um, a pastoralist community up in northern Kenya um, for a while and kind of... Um, Kind of experiencing you know uh, the juxtaposition was really interesting so we had a meeting in Nairobi last thing on the Tuesday and the the final meeting of the day was was all about how tech tech is the next thing in education tech is going to solve the education problems in Kenya and then kind of going up to this uh, this community in uh, northern kind of arid regions of Kenya and seeing that you know they were worried about termites eating through the roof and and I guess having that juxtaposition and trying to work out you know where in the space we fitted uh, and where there was an opportunity um, to kind of to address some of the systemic issues and so that's that's kind of getting to the end but having the opportunity to to have a blank canvas and actually map a system and uh, map a context and and really identify 
with no kind of um, precon preconceptions, uh, map what is possible um, and kind of look at that. And so uh, I don't know how much you know about kind of early childhood uh, intervention, but uh, there's more and more research been coming out in the last few years about the impact that you can have if you intervene in a child's life before the age of three and particularly before the age of five as well, uh, at which point their kind of brains are developing, their language skills are developing. Um, and, you know, um, indicators at kind of age three and age five are very good indicators for kind of life outcomes. And so if you can have a real kind of strong social impact then, then you are setting kids up for a kind of a healthy life, a productive life, um, a good life um, as much as you can. And so looking at investing in early childhood development in Kenya through, um, through kind of low cost nurseries uh, where parents can kind of trust that they're leaving their child in safe hands, they can afford them, um, but also that their child is getting um, is is part of a curriculum that has been internationally tested uh, it's taking best practice from around the world um, and it's it's making it applicable in the in the Kenyan context uh, so that was a really really awesome project and yeah one of the favorite things I've done but you know I've worked in lots of different areas so conservation in East Africa uh, entrepreneurship in Rwanda social work in the UK lots of stuff around kind of teacher well-being in the UK which is is a is a really really tricky one because it's obviously a massive issue at the moment and we're seeing a bit of a retention and recruitment crisis at the moment but yeah lots of lots of really interesting ones but that that i guess has been one of my favorites over the last few years great it sounds very hands-on but really exciting as well i mean talk to me about entrepreneurship in rwanda i mean you talk about kind of uh, the work in sort of africa that you do but i'm sure there's so many kind of government challenges um challenges as well uh, what was that sort of like um, entrepreneurship in Rwanda, it's, the, it's quite um, a fertile environment, um, I think there's a lot of interest in it because it's a very stable economy, it's a growing economy, it's very easy to do business, so I think it takes three days to register a business in Rwanda, which is incredibly quick, um, I think it's, you know, it's one of the fastest places to register a business in the world, um, but at the same time, there's not a lot of money for, for kind of seed capital. There's not a lot of growth capital out there. Um, and so kind of filling that gap around investing in entrepreneurs, but also helping them along that journey. So when we first started, we were putting out uh, requests for kind of people to come to us for, for investment. And we were just not finding businesses that were investment ready. You know, they had an idea, but it was how to kind of write a business plan around that idea. And so kind of finding organizations and um, doing it ourselves, kind of working with those individual entrepreneurs to, to flesh out their idea and, and kind of work out where their market was, you know, where their um, kind of how their financial models worked um, was really, really interesting because there's, yeah, there's, there's a lot of business and there's a lot of interest there, but I think it's, it's getting those uh, entrepreneurs investment ready. Um, and getting to the point where, where they could kind of take on bigger and bigger uh, investment sizes uh, was really exciting. Yeah, and on that side of the world, I mean, what's the sort of industries that are kind of dominating the startup world out there at the moment? Um, so in East Africa, there's a lot of tech. So in Nairobi, uh, particularly, there's there's quite a few tech hubs that are popping up and really interesting stuff. Uh, Rwanda is also um, quite techy. Um, there's obviously the more kind of traditional um, traditional industries around kind of agriculture, um, but starting to be more and more around agro-processing. So instead of uh, things being exported as raw commodities, it's about how to add value within kind of Rwanda. So is it um, 
Is it about uh, if you've got a, an a oil that comes from a seed, it's about processing that uh, seed into an oil in Rwanda and then exporting it as a high value commodity as opposed to exporting the raw seed. Um, so I think uh, we've not seen the, the last <laughs> agro processing as kind of a really interesting way of adding serious value to, to existing uh, supply chains. I mean, what's been your sort of biggest challenge in working in this industry, would you say? Um, I, I think it's people's openness to, to kind of think about things in a, in a more systemic way. I think the industry has become very kind of obsessed with outcomes and kind of what's going to happen and, you know, how many people am I going to help with my money? Um, and it's, I think, I remember working with a with an NGO and um, trying to fill out an application form for a piece of funding from a foundation, and it was one of the questions that you had to answer in order to get to the next stage of the form was how many beneficiaries will you have as part of this? And you know, when you're talking about systemic change, you're not talking about numbers of beneficiaries; it's it's inquantifiable. Mm -hmm. um, you're talking about changing a system that's gonna that's gonna allow kind of the next generation to go through a very different world. And so I think that's that's been a big challenge for us in kind of getting people to think outside the box and getting people to think about a system as opposed to a program. Yeah, yeah, imagine. Um, so if you could give your younger self any sort of advice, what would it be? <laughs> uh, I guess be less worried about what people thought. Um, <laughs> I think it was a big one. Um, Funny, we've had that you know, it was, times. <laughs> yeah, just, just take, take a risk. I think I... I remember being younger and kind of sitting in meetings and thinking, oh, I don't understand what this person is saying. They must be really, really smart. Yeah. And actually, no one really knows what they're talking about. There's a, there's a certain extent of kind of just winging it with everyone. And, and if you don't understand them, chances are they don't really know what they're saying. Exactly. Um, and kind of just have faith in yourself that, yeah, you know enough. I think usually the person with the most abbreviations in the world is probably the person who has more ideas. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I think what has fascinated you the most when it comes to sort of the progression for females in the world of not just startups but business overall, was there anything you've noticed? Um, I think as I've kind of gone through this, it's, it's the amount of people behind closed doors just slogging away on their business. So particularly, um, so my brother and I started a furniture business a few years ago, um, and and kind of it was much more of a personal endeavour than ten years time that already kind of had a bit of a structure because it spun out of another company, and so kind of a lot of people put us in touch with various friends and kind of just seeing how many people, how many young women are out there quietly just working on the most incredible ideas. So we met people working in in India and Namibia and South Africa, and just all of these people are, are working on their own little startups, and you know they're not making a song and dance about it, um, but they're doing incredibly amazing work. But just no one really ever gets to see that and um, I think that's a big passion for me in terms of female entrepreneurship is about how we get those stories out there and how we say to people look there are incredible people probably in the in the house next door to you that you just don't know about that are doing these amazing things but you know all we hear about is big business all we hear about is kind of to, to a certain extent male dominated boardrooms um, and you know it's it's small wins in terms of women being in the boardrooms but it's also it's the incredible amount of women who are doing things that aren't, yeah, aren't getting in the news and aren't getting the, the recognition they, they probably deserve. Mm, definitely. It's great because there's loads of sort of 
um, events, which, I mean, just from starting the Girls in Project, kind of finding out about other projects which are all about supporting females in the industry. But it's not, it's not like I was talking to someone yesterday for this series and we were saying it's not just female-specific, but it's also making your team more diverse, um, bringing different opinions to the table. Um, and she was saying that one of the greatest statistics that she had heard is that the businesses do the best are the ones that have more females amongst the C-level um, executives kind of on the board. So it shows that I think different opinions definitely bring out the best in a company. Yeah, no, definitely. And yeah, having people from all walks of life is, is important. And I think it's it's one of the things I've loved most about the social sector is that you do just get people from utterly diverse backgrounds. Yeah. And I think you need that in order to succeed. You know, you need to have people that will think in a totally different way to you. And often that comes from, you know, a very different point of view and a very different kind of background. Um, and so just having those people out there that, that can challenge you and, and kind of make you question yourself but strengthen strengthen your idea um, is, is important amazing okay well thank you so much claire um for your time on this podcast episode it's been really interesting finding out about kind of the, the projects which are happening across the world i mean i love finding out about different ideas in like the ruralist of places it's stuff which can kind of make wonders in their lives and stuff like that so it's amazing um i wish you all the best with 10 years time and all your other kind of individual ventures um and yeah thank you so much thanks everyone for listening and tune for the next episode super thanks very much for having me thank you bye